0: Uh, let me just lay out roughly what we're going to do tonight. If I may not say it in order, but I'll do the best I can. We're going to take a couple of minutes and review some key ideas from last week. Now, I know compared to last night's session up in Sarasota or wherever we were, wherever we were, Um, This is a younger crowd, so you may not need review as much as some of us need review, but I know there's a few people here like myself who need to connect this back to last week. So we're going to take a couple of minutes and do that. Then we're going to look at some statistics, some information about population and people groups and stuff that I think are important to prepare our hearts when we talk about the need for uh, reaching the world for Christ. And then we're going to spend some time taking a look at the Gospel of Luke. Now, I know my topic is the book of Acts, okay? So, I'm not confused. Uh, but we're going to take a little bit of time and look in the book of Luke's t- Luke together. We'll end up at the beginning of the book of Acts. Then we will have a break. And then the second half together, we will be completely in the book of Acts, okay? So, that's… Not a promise, but that's roughly what we're going to do, all right? So let me start with uh, where we were last week with Sean uh, teaching. And somebody already prayed, but this is the prayer that I was planning on praying to open our time. So if you don't mind, I'd like to do that. A prayer that the psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Let's pray, huh? Father, thank you that although our minds and hearts are filled with lots of things from today that when we open the word of God, we can pray that your holy spirit opens our understanding, gives us understanding of the word, helps us to see the wondrous things to behold the wondrous truths of the Word of God that you have given us. So tonight, that's the prayer that we come before you with, that you would open our eyes to understand what we in and of ourselves cannot understand apart from your Holy Spirit. So uh, be honored and glorified as we look at your Word together and give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So, a little bit of a review here. Now, I got about, you know, six font on the back wall there. So, if I look like I'm doing this, uh, that's why. Hopefully, you can see what's behind me a little bit better. Genesis 1, uh, chapters 1 through 11 is where Sean started last week with the promise that God made at the very beginning, the command that God gave at the very beginning to His people to multiply, to fill the earth with people. And so, he followed that through the Scriptures. We got to the, the uh, disastrous time where the flood came in and destroyed most of the people on the earth because of their sin and their wickedness. And sure enough, Noah comes through the flood, and God says, what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth with people, Fill the earth with people that can come to know me. I want to be known by all people. We got to the end of those first 11 chapters, and did they go? You remember Sean said, God said go. Humanity said no. God said go. Humanity said no. God said go. Humanity said no. We get to the end, to chapter 11, and everybody's huddled together together enjoying one another's fellowship, building an edifice to their own glory. And it's a disaster again. And God steps in and scatters everybody. Scatters them, gives them all different languages. And then we come to chapter 12, and it says simply, And the Lord said to Abraham, just out of the blue, All these nations had failed, they had been scattered, and God spoke to one man, Abraham. And you remember, um, Sean, last week said, out of all nations, God chose one nation to reach all nations. If that's not the theme of the Scriptures, I don't know what it is. Out of all of the nations that God has created, God chose one nation, one people, one person Abraham and from him he made a great nation to reach all nations that's the purpose Israel was not special were they God had to tell him over and over again hey nothing in you that's special I chose you to reach the rest of the earth and so the story continued through the Old Testament into the prophets and into the Old Testament history and God's command to go and fill the earth and share the truth in Abraham that Abraham, that all the nations on earth, all the families on earth would be blessed through Abraham went through the Old Testament and Israel miserably, miserably, miserably failed at thinking outside of their own little group. Israel. They could not get outside of that. And so we went from the Old Testament into the New Testament. The ultimate fulfillment and blessing of Abraham was found in, is found in Christ, the seed of Abraham. And we looked at Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. I think I can see it from here. And the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That statement alone, for the average person in the first century, was like, what? The Old Testament Scriptures foresaw that the blessing of Abraham, that people would be justified, the Gentiles would be justified by faith. And it preached, the Old Testament preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. There's the Gospel. According to Paul, there's the Gospel. In you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. And then Christ comes to fulfill that. In Christ, we are in Abraham. We are of the faith of Abraham. And Paul continues on. Let me just add this verse in verse 14 of the same chapter. So that, after he says, Christ was cursed so that we could be blessed in Abraham. So that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. That phrase goes into our study later on tonight together as we look at the book of Acts. But here's the promise of Abraham and the connection to the promise of God of the Holy Spirit to those who believe and who take on the faith of Abraham as they trust in Christ From there, Sean jumped into the New Testament. showed us very quickly with just a verse or two. After 400 years of silence, so to speak, the Scriptures open in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus Christ. That's it. There's the fulfillment. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Connecting him back to the promise given to Abraham, given to the whole earth, that in Abraham they would be blessed. Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Mark immediately connects the truth about Jesus coming to the Old Testament Scriptures. Luke does the same thing. Simeon is in the temple and Jesus is brought by his parents and and Simeon's an old man and he is praising God for keeping him alive and giving him The blessing to see face-to-face the fulfillment of Scripture. And he says, right here before me is the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. So both Israel and all the rest of the earth is wrapped up in this little baby, the Lord Jesus and then the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is a story of sending. From the very opening sentences, the eternal Word of God is sent from heaven to earth. And then it talks about John the Baptist, a man who was sent by God whose name was John. And four times John the Baptist is talked about being sent by the Father. Forty-one times Jesus talks about being sent from heaven from his heavenly father and then four times in that gospel the disciples are sent out on missions sometimes it's a local mission and sometimes it's a global mission near the end of the gospel and so we wrap up in the gospels and we begin to look at the end of the gospels in what we call the great commission we're going to call it the great recommission because that's really what it is right god is saying what he said From the very beginning. Go tell the people about me. Make my name known among every nation. Go. And so the Great Commission is a recommission. This is not new. Sean highlighted that last week. And so what I want you to see from this slide is simply this. Matthew talks about this commission being for all the nations. Mark says, all of creation luke says all the nations john says as the father sent me from heaven to earth now i am sending you out around the whole earth and then the book of acts where we'll end up a little bit later you'll be witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth so this is the great recommission but it's shaped differently from gospel to gospel. And we're going to come back to that and look at that a little bit. But I want to look at some world population. Don't get dizzy here. but just trying to give you an idea of what we're looking at. There's 7.9 billion people on our planet. Now, unfortunately, we're all sitting here and we have no emotional response to that statement. You want to know why? Because you have no way of gauging what a billion is. It's just beyond our ability. But there's 7.9 billion people. And the average age around the globe is 30, which is remarkable. And more importantly, life expectancy is, Larry, it's 67, man. This is our last year. Okay? And some of you, you're just stinking lucky you're still here. You shouldn't be here. You know, I got thinking about this. 67, it's just interesting that you go around the world in rich countries, poor countries, you name it countries. You average it all out. You come up with 67-ish, right? They might be off one or two. Could be closer to 70. And then you go to the Psalms and the inspired Word of God says, and our life is but 70 years. Isn't that interesting at least? And if you're really strong 80... And if it's after that, it's just pure grace, friends. Just totally pure grace. Or God doesn't want you. One or the other. I'm not quite sure what it is. (laughs) I'm not quite sure. But top 10 most populated countries. China, 1.45 billion people in one country. India, 1.4 billion people in one country. And then the next greatest country, the United States of America, 0 billion 0.333 million. Like we're nowhere near those places. So you think of those two countries and the amount of people in those two places, and both of those places are restricted access countries, not open to missionaries. Matter of fact, India this year just bumped up to number 10 on the list of worst places for a Christian to live. They came from like 26 to 10 this year because the Hindus are killing Christians left and right in India. But the world is filled with people and the world is filled with people groups. This is not something that was talked about when I was a young Christian. This is something in the last 20 some years or so, but there's 17,432 people groups Groups of people who speak a certain language or have a certain culture and it kind of separates them from other people that might speak the same language but don't have the same history, don't have the same culture, and so they're separated from them. 17,000 different ones. That's a lot more than there are nations. Okay? So within a nation, like a nation of China, there's all these people groups that speak different languages, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now the unreached people groups are the less than 2% evangelical Christians? So if you have a people group and there's less than 2% of them that are true believers, they're considered an unreached people group. Why? Because 98% of them don't know Christ. That's pretty unreached. Okay? Total unreached people groups: 7,400 and some. 3.28 billion people unreached in our planet. It's kind of staggering. And that doesn't even touch it. Because the unevangelized are not the same thing. The unevangelized are those over 2%. So China is the unevangelized because they're about 3%. So they still have a huge number of unsaved people. They're just not classified under the unreached people, they're unevangelized people. And there's 2,960 people groups that fall in. Over 10,000 of the 17,000 people groups are unreached on our planet. The population's growing like crazy. And the church is sending less and less and less people to the field every year. This is something we should be thinking about as believers now I want to come back to this slide again and I just want to emphasize something a little bit different I believe that the great commission or the great commission recommission however you want to uh, call it is given differently in scripture like we can't look at all five of these and go oh that says the same thing it doesn't say the same thing And so, each writer inspired by the Holy Spirit is using the Great Commission for a purpose, and he shapes that for the purpose of his writing. So, there's similarities between Matthew, Mark, and John, right? Matthew makes it very clear. This is a command, folks, go, okay? Now, the the main command is make disciples, but go is an imperative participle. It's like you can't make disciples from your basement playing video games. Okay? You have to go. You have to go somewhere. So, go. Mark says, go. Preach the gospel to all of the creation. Jesus said, I'm sending you. I expect you to go. So, three of the New Testament commissioned texts are commands for us to obey. But Luke and Acts... Are not. Now, does that mean we don't have to obey them? (laughs) No, 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 no. Luke and Acts is the other side of the coin. The one side of the coin is your and my responsibility. We're to obey the Word of God. We're to obey what God says. We're to go. All of us, in some shape, some form, are to be part of that. The other side is here's what God's going to do. And you can see it as you read it. That's too small for me. Sorry. Okay. Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. That's not a command, folks. That's a promise. Matter of fact, that's a prophetic statement that Jesus made to his disciples at the end of Luke, in Luke chapter 24. Here's what's going to happen, boys. Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name, in the name of Christ. He was talking about the Messiah talking about himself, to all nations. This is going to happen. Promise from God. The book of Acts, you will be my witnesses. This is not a command. This is telling you from Jesus' lips to your ear a prophetic statement that you will be, at least the original disciples and certainly those who obey after that, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts, the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. This is a prophetic statement that Jesus Christ makes. And this is the way Luke shapes it both in his gospel and in his history of the early church, the first 30 plus years of the early church. And we're going to be looking at that uh, together tonight, but I, I want you to know that the immediate context of 1.8, this recommissioned text, is one through 11. And For us to understand what Jesus is saying in verse 8, we need to take a little bit of time and look either side, right, to understand that. And we're going to do that a little bit tonight. But first I want to take you back to 1980. Who was not born in 1980? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so a lot of you don't even know what I'm talking about. So this is going to be new facts for you. So take it in. Ready? This is a poster of a very exciting new film that came out in 1980. It's spectacular. It's timely. It's unique. It's about the second coming. Christ's return is imminent. And for a 100 bucks, you can show this film in your church. Well, I was a brand-new believer pretty much back then. And I was in this little dinky church called Shanick Baptist Church. And it was 1985. And my pastor's name was Scott. And Scott said, we're going to get that new movie that everybody's talking about and we're going to show it here invite your friends we're going to see a movie about the second coming of christ oh awesome we were so excited we all packed into our little church and we shut the lights off and we turned this on i know all of you that had hands raised don't even know what this is we had that old reel to reel hooked up revved up ready to go it Turn that baby on. It's amazing you could hear anything, and everybody's like that. Five minutes goes by, and it's. Ten minutes goes by, and it's like I don't know why I don't understand this thing. Fifteen minutes goes by, and somebody says. Pastor Scott, shut that thing off. Shuts it off, lights go on. The guy gets up and says, Something's not right here. I don't understand what's going on here. Well, reel number one was still on the table. Reel number two was what we were watching. Do you understand? We're watching part two of a two part movie. So we didn't know the characters, we didn't know the plot of the story. I mean, it was a cool story. It just didn't make any sense. And I think sometimes that's what happens when we read the book of Acts without the book of Luke. Luke is volume one. It's real one. It's part of a two-volume set. And so I, I feel compelled to take a little bit of time And go back and look at the greater context of the Gospel of Luke, volume one of a two-volume set. Now, we don't have a lot of time to do this tonight, so I'm really going to be skipping, and we're not going to be detailing through, turning to your Bibles and so forth. So I just put some stuff up on here. Hopefully it's enough for you to get the the picture. We're going to look at the beginning of the book and the end of the book. Because that's important for what we're doing tonight. So, the greater context, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where Luke introduces his first volume, and some of the things we find out about it, well, yeah, it was uh, written by Luke. Well, we get to Acts, Acts was written by Luke. Okay, well, that's interesting. The recipient was Theophilus. We get to Acts, the recipient is Theophilus. Like, hmm, interesting. Interesting. Maybe this is like a two-part volume. See, in my Bible, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And like many times, we don't ever make the connection that those two things go together. And it's important for our understanding because in volume one, and this is where you give the plot, is in real number one. If you don't have that, it makes real number two a little hard to understand. He gives it to us right in verse 4. He says that you may have certainty. Theophilus, I'm writing these things about Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension so that you might have certainty, assurance, confidence that what you have been taught, the things you have been taught about Christ, are true. So why did Luke write volume 1? So that whoever read volume 1 would have confidence about what they understand about Jesus Christ. He he articulated it very well. Well, volume two has got the same purpose. It's part two. It's so that we will have certainty about what we're learning about what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, and what Jesus will do. That's the way the two volumes lay out. So let's take a look at this. This is chapter 24 of Luke. Then Jesus said to them, Jesus has been risen from the dead, and he shows up where his disciples are hiding out and scares them half to death. And he says to them, hey, look, this, these are my words that I spoke to you. So what I'm going to say to you, I've already said to you, a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Luke, he already said this many times. They just weren't listening. They were not listening. While I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what does Jesus tell his disciples? Everything that is from Genesis to Malachi speaks about me, and it's going to be, it must be fulfilled. Everything. So, The next verse tells us, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's why I wanted to pray together tonight. Because if Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't open your mind to understand the Scriptures, you will not understand the Scriptures. You know how many many people around the world read the Scriptures every day and do not understand? So he literally opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And I hope your question is, to understand what exactly? Like, there's quite a bit back there from Genesis to Malachi. What is it that he wanted them to truly understand? Well, he tells us in the next couple of verses that the Christ would suffer. Well, he already has at this point, right? He's talking to them. He's already been crucified, And he opens their mind to understand from the Old Testament Scripture that the Old Testament prophesied that that would happen to him. You remember, they walked away from there totally discouraged because they didn't understand how the Messiah could die. It must not be the Messiah. He opened their minds so that they would understand that the Christ had to suffer. And that the Christ would rise again on the third day. Well, here he is standing before them alive, scared them half to death. They weren't expecting that. He showed them from the Scripture. The foundation of everything Jesus did was the Scripture. The promises that God gives us are from Scripture. Any one of us who's going to get excited about going out on mission has better get excited because of what the Scripture teaches us. So these two things had already happened, but they just didn't get it. So he opened their mind to it. And then he said something else that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses. You guys are witnesses of this. So the first two things already are already fulfilled prophecy. Jesus already fulfilled them. The third thing, however, has not happened yet. As Jesus is standing before his disciples in chapter 24 of Luke, Nobody's preaching forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness in in his name. Hasn't happened yet. But Jesus makes a prophetic statement that it's going to happen. You should keep that in mind as we continue. So what I want to do is one of the other themes through the Gospel of Luke and into the book of Acts, if, let me try this, this may not work. If I were to ask you what Matthew's theme is when he's talking about Christ, what would you say? Christ the King. Christ the King. How about, the, how about John? How about John's gospel? Christ, what is he saying about Christ? The Son of God, right? The eternal Son of God. So, there's this theology behind what John's writing that impacts everything he says. There's this theology behind Matthew's writing that impacts everything he says. Mark talks about Jesus being the servant, and it impacts everything he says about Jesus. And Luke, we say, the most popular thing to say about Luke is he talks about Jesus being the man, the perfect man. And I I think that is definitely true. But he goes beyond that, and he talks about Jesus being the greatest prophet who ever lived. Something that today as Christians we don't talk about a whole lot. But let's look at a couple of passages and you'll see what I'm saying. So Jesus is speaking and his own hometown is rejecting him, right? He just spoke in the synagogue, opened up the scriptures and said to them, Today, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. And then he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Because they rejected him, his own people Uh, nazareth wasn't a big city not 13 million people right a couple hundred people they knew jesus really well they rejected him and jesus said yeah no prophet is accepted in his hometown he called himself a prophet in that situation and then the crowd jesus had just raised a young boy from the dead the widow's son from the dead There came fear on the whole crowd and they glorified God saying that a great prophet is risen up among us and that God has visited his people. Luke saw fit to put this story in there and say that there is a great prophet among the people of God. The whole crowd recognized that. Then we go to Luke chapter 7 and a Pharisee, not exactly a friend of Jesus, not exactly on Jesus' side. Um, You remember the context? It was in his home. He invited Jesus into his home so he could pick him apart and find something to convict him with. And, and in that dinner, this uh, lady walked in who had a little bit of a reputation. And she got down on her hands and knees and broke open that alabaster box and anointed Jesus with it. And this Pharisee said, "Whoo, baby, if this man Jesus were a prophet. Now, why would he say that? Well, because everybody says he is. That's why. And so Luke included that in here. He would have known what kind of woman this is that has touched him for she is a sinner. See the Pharisee thought prophets don't get around sinful people. Prophets don't. See the Pharisee didn't really understand God's prophets. That's why the Jews killed all the prophets. Right? Didn't Jesus say that? All of God's prophets that are sent you killed. Because you had something in your head about what a prophet was and they didn't fit your little idea. Same thing happened to this Pharisee. And then we go to Luke 13, and Jesus is warned by a Pharisee to get out of town. You've got to get out of town. Herod's going to kill you. Now, whether Herod was going to kill him or not, we don't know. Uh, maybe the Pharisee was just trying to get rid of him. Maybe the Pharisee kind of liked Jesus and didn't want him to get hurt. But Jesus' response to the Pharisee was Oh, really? <laughs> you know, i got some healing I need to do today, I got some preaching I need to do tomorrow, and i got some business I need to do on the third day. As a matter of fact, uh, I will walk around today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet can perish outside of Jerusalem. He calls himself a prophet in Luke's gospel. Luke 24, the end of the thing. You know Cleop- Cleopas? He's the guy, he and his friend, who were sad, the Scripture says. Jesus had been killed, crucified, buried. And these two guys are walking away from Jerusalem going, oh my, all of our hopes and dreams are gone. Can you believe all the things that happened? Well, while they're walking away, the resurrected Christ stops by, starts walking alongside of it, and the Scripture says he closed their eyes so that they would not recognize who he was so here are these guys they're talking to Jesus and Jesus said hey what are you guys talking about and they said are you kidding me like did you just get here what planet are you from I don't think that's in the Greek text but the idea is where's this guy from like, this was done in broad daylight in Jerusalem. Everybody know, knows what's going on about concerning Jesus of Nazareth. That's who we're talking about, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, 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 don't call me a mighty prophet. It must have been unusual to be Jesus and listen to him talking about you and all bewildered as to what has happened here. Luke 7 26 Jesus says to the crowd hey what did you go out to see when you went out to see John the Baptist did you go out to see a prophet yeah you you saw a prophet and I tell you you saw more than a prophet for I say to you among those that are born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist that's Jesus talking about John the Baptist this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus John answered saying I indeed baptize you with water but that's nothing But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then at the uh, transfiguration, the voice comes from heaven out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Please remember that phrase as we go forward tonight. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the greatest prophet who has ever spoken because Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John, I only say what the Father tells me to say. That's why everything that came out of Jesus' mouth was either right out of the Old Testament or directly from the Father to the people. I don't say anything that the Father doesn't tell me to say. And I don't do anything that I don't see the Father do. And so, God says to the disciples and to us, when Jesus speaks, you had better listen. Now, I want to jump into volume two. Okay, we're going to take a break somewhat soon. Volume two, chapter three, we're on the second preaching episode of the Apostle Peter. He preached the Pentecostal message right, at Pentecost, and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ through the preaching of the Old Testament. You just read through it. It's like, so what's so special about Peter's preaching? Scripture, my friend, Scripture. It's all about the Scripture. Read it for yourself. He gets to his second message, and he begins to preach Christ, and this is what he says. Listen to this as he's preaching to the people, Moses said, he's preaching to the Jews, Moses, you know, (laughs) your guy, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Do you remember Moses saying that? That's what he's saying. Do you remember that? Deuteronomy. Moses said that. You remember? You shall listen to him. Well, who is this prophet? Whatever he tells you, you better listen. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from all the people. And then he preached Christ to them. Jesus Christ is the prophet that Moses said God would send that the people were to listen to. Now this is the same thing Luke has had for a theme throughout volume one. He picks it up in the messages that he chose to give us like, you think Peter only preached twice? Right? You think Paul only preached a couple of times? No. Luke chose what he wanted for his volume, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we would get the message, certainly that Jesus ought to be listened to, because he is the greatest prophet who has ever spoken. And all of the prophets have spoken the Word of God, the promises of God, And they all spoke about God reaching out to all the nations to have one people that would know Him and magnify Him, glorify Him, glorify His name. Well then, Stephen preaches in chapter 7. Lo and behold, this message cost him his life. Why did it cost him his life? Because he's speaking to the Jews and he says, hey, you guys remember Moses? They'd all go, yeah, we know Moses. We don't know who you are. Yeah, well, do you remember Moses saying this? You know who he's talking about? The guy you just crucified. The guy that you would not hear. You would not obey. Now, think of the three Gospels for a minute. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the Word of God to all creation. I am sending you in the same way my Father has sent me from heaven to earth. I am sending you from this location to the rest of the globe. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Why don't you turn there? We're going to look at this quickly and then take our break. Acts 1, 1 through 7. Verse 1. I'll start reading now if you don't mind. In the first book, O Theophilus. In the first book, on the first reel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptizes with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. If you look at this, verse 1 tells us that volume 1 was all about what Jesus began to both do and to teach. It's about Jesus' life and his ministry about what Jesus was doing and what Jesus taught volume two the book of Acts picks up with what Jesus is continuing to do and that's important for our study in our second half together as we look at the book of Acts verses two through five did I read five yeah I did verses two through five are basically a summary of chapter 24 of the gospel of Luke it's the connection back to Luke Right? Doesn't every good movie do that that has two parts? If you've got to take the reel off, and it's going to take five or ten minutes to get the second reel back on, when it goes on, you hope somebody says something about reel one so that you know how to make the connections. Well, that's what, that's what a good writer does. That's what Luke does. He connects back with the ascension and the command to stay. Isn't this interesting? From Genesis all the way to this point, God has said to his people over and over and over again, Go and tell them. And they've responded, No. Now, they may not have verbalized it, they just didn't go and they didn't tell. Here, Jesus said, Don't move, don't go anywhere, stay put. What? Like, what is the point here? Well, we know the point because we just read the verse. If you go apart from the Holy Spirit's ministry, you go alone. Do you know how many missionaries are on the field alone? Do you? There's a great number of missionaries who are out feeding people and doing lots of other good things alone. Or with a few other pals. That's not what Jesus wanted his disciples to do. He wanted them to wait, in this case, for the Holy Spirit to come and to indwell them and to empower them to do what he commanded them to do. You can't do it without his power. Both sides of the coin. This is what you must do, but let me tell you something. I'm going to do it. I will build my church, Jesus said. Oh, no, 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 that's my job. I'm the pastor. No, it isn't. I will build my church. You want to join me? Then go. You don't want to join me? Say no. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple, pretty simple thing. So in verse 6, the apostles ask Jesus a question. So, when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This this was one of the greatest prophecies of the Old Testament, was that God was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Like, this is what Israel has been looking for all all the time. But they disconnected it with the rest of the sentence that said, not only to you and to your children, but to all who are far off, to the whole earth. That was his plan but Israel just had kind of myopic view, kind of like the church does today. Our life is about faith Bible church. Now, that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. That's a good thing. But when that's the only thing, and it's not what faith Bible church is going to be used by God to do, to go, to obey, If it's just my fellowship area, my my friends go there, the food's halfway decent, the preaching's excellent, wow, why would I want to go anywhere else? That's saying no, folks. Everybody in the room ought to be able to be ready to walk away from Justin's preaching. Why would anybody want to do that? Hey, I agree. That's why I'm here. I agree. But if that's truly your heart and your life is all just about you and having good preaching and good fellowship and good time and not open to the Holy Spirit moving in your heart to do what God saved you to do, to go and tell somebody the good news about Jesus, then you're no different than the disciples were at this point in their life. They're just, so when's our kingdom coming? Because I already talked to mom, and mom talked to you, and she's got a spot for me right next to you, I'm pretty sure. Right? Didn't, you, didn't you give John one side, James the other side? Thanks, mom. Love you. That's where their, that's where their mindset was. Well, Jesus doesn't answer that question. He totally ignores this question. Matter of fact, he does more than that. Look at verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know. This is none of your business. Wrong question. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. It's going to happen, but it's none of your business. Here's your business. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is your business. This is what you should be concerned about. Disciples. Followers of Christ. That this is what happens for you in your life. It's going to happen whether you get involved or not. That's that's the wonderful thing about Luke and Acts. It's written, I think I have it on here. It's written, why? So that you may have certainty about the things that the Word of God teaches you about Christ. Will the ends of the earth be reached with the gospel? Will there be churches planted in every land? Absolutely! Unquestionably! How do I know that? Right there. Jesus promised. Jesus prophetically stated this is going to happen. Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is it going to happen? Depends on whether you believe Jesus. Depends on whether you're listening with the ear of faith to believe. Because if you do believe that, you really do believe that, and you believe you're one of his, Do you think you have a part? you think it's his plan that we have a part of this? Can we trust these words of Jesus? Do we really believe that weak people like those first disciples and us are going to be used to accomplish this amazing prophetic pronouncement from Jesus? Do we really believe that mission is God's will for his people? The book of Acts will answer and challenge what you and I believe about those questions. All right, we will get back to it here as we continue with Volume 2, Real 2. I hope you have a little bit of a feel of what Volume 1 was discussing. I think some of that information will be important as we go forward, as we think about Acts chapter 1, verse 8 being a prophetic statement by Jesus Christ. This is going to happen. Um, It's basically broken up into four sections, right? Take a look at it. It's, It's pretty simple. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's not a command. That's a statement. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Statement. You will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria. Statement. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Statement. Jesus is saying something that has not happened that will happen. And what the book of Acts does is basically Luke takes this prophetic statement of Jesus and uses it as an outline. Why? Because he wants to show Theophilus he can have confidence in what Jesus says. Jesus said it, he's going to do it. Here's what happened over the last 30 years. That's what he's doing. And so for any one of us who are Theophilists reading Luke and Acts today, it should do the very same thing. Jesus said this would happen. We get to look at the historical fulfillment of the words of Jesus, the greatest prophet who ever stepped foot on the earth. So what we're going to do in our time together is look at the book of Acts and see are the, is this true? Is what Jesus said can we trust what Jesus said to be completely fulfilled? So we'll take a look at the first one, ready? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the very front part of Acts, the Holy Spirit The promise of the Father comes exactly as Jesus said He would. Jesus said, Don't you move until I send Him. Acts 2.42 And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning. This is the birth. The birth of what? It's the birth of the church because Jesus said i will build my church and i will send the promise of the father to get that done because i will use my church to reach the world so that the whole world knows my name knows who i am that's exactly what the very beginning pages of volume 2 begins to tell us we continue into that message a little bit further Peter said to them repent and believe every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins have you heard that before does that sound familiar to you Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 during those 40 days that he was teaching them after the resurrection before the ascension here's what's going to happen guys preaching of repentance and forgiveness of sins is going to go forth in my name And here's Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't prepare this beforehand. He didn't write this down ahead of time. He starts speaking, what's he preach? Repentance and baptism to everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that has come upon every one of us. For the promise is for you and for your children. They all knew that and for all who are far off. The very phrase used in the Old Testament speaking of the Gentiles. The very phrase Paul uses later in the book of Ephesians to speak about the Gentiles. Those who are far off. That's me and you, folks. <laughs> those who are far off. The promise is to us if we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus to get forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit upon everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself this is what Jesus said would happen this is exactly what Peter preached would happen and this is exactly what continues to happen because when they heard this message those who believed it those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls there's your evidence that the Holy Spirit will come upon you you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you Power to transform your life. To take you from death to life. From lostness to reconciliation with God. 3,000 people in one message. That's never happened here at faith. Sorry, Justin. You're a good preacher. It's just never happened here. We haven't had 3,000 in the building. We'd probably get arrested if we did. But, But we'd also fall flat on our face if we saw it happen. Father, show us wondrous things from the power of your word. Here's a wondrous thing. Can you imagine being one of those 3,000 people and knowing that the Holy Spirit has just done this amazing, amazing thing in your midst? Listen, the Lord added to their number day by day. This was not Faith Bible Church, Peter the pastor. This was not Peter's church. This was not Peter saving people. This was Peter telling people the truth about the word of God and the Lord who said I will build my church saved <laughs> and added to his church day after day after day through the book of Acts. Jesus in volume one we learn about what he began to both do and to teach. His life and his ministry. In volume two, we're seeing what Jesus is continuing to do. He is building his church. And he has sent his Holy Spirit, and people are getting saved day after day. Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men in chapter 4, verse 4, came to about 5,000. In just the first few days of the birth of the church, we have 5,000 genuine converts. Now, people who raise their hand, I want to believe in Jesus and live my life the way I want to. I want it all. The American gospel. Now, these are people that put their lives on the line, their jobs on the line, their families on the line to be publicly baptized to follow Jesus Christ. 5,000 men in chapter 4, verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. You're going to see this throughout the book of Acts. We're not going to look at every one. Those who were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was this response, this reaction to the person who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Their mouth opened up. And guess what they said? The Word of God. And guess how they said it? With great confidence. Great boldness. Why? Because they were cocky people? No, because they had humbled themselves, repented of their sin, fallen on their face before Jesus, been given the Holy Spirit, stood back up and opened their mouth, and the Holy Spirit spoke the Word of God through them boldly. And that happens over and over again and over again as people are speaking the Word of God boldly because of the Holy Spirit and the Lord is adding to His church day by day by day. And every day, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Now this may not sound like a wondrous verse to you, but let me give you a little bit of context. And every day, they... Who are we speaking about? Well, we're speaking about the apostles. We're in chapter 5. Guess what just happened? Well, they were arrested. And they were beaten severely. And they were threatened by the religious authorities. Don't you dare open your mouth and say anything about Jesus again. And then they let them go. And they got together with the church and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy that they had been found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And every day they did not stop. You can tell me not to say anything or you want to tell me not to say anything, but you can't stop me from saying the truth about Jesus. And they taught and they preached that the Christ was Jesus. Now the Jews may have been waiting for somebody else to come, but Christ already came and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. And they continued to preach it regardless of the threat on their physical being uh, as well as everything they owned. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus said ahead of time. Can we believe that? yeah I think so I think we can trust Jesus the greatest prophet who ever lived he spoke ahead of time that this is what's going to happen and then in the history of the early church there's the evidence that what Jesus said really happened so but that's just one of four does everything Jesus say really happen Well, we look at the second one. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, think about this. We got a group of Jewish apostles whose Jewish leader was just crucified by the religious Jews in Jerusalem. And they are festering to kill anybody and everybody who followed him. Who wants to stand up first and preach Christ? in Jerusalem this was putting your life on the line but Jesus said you will witness to me in Jerusalem seriously well let's take a look at it chapter 6 and the word of god continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith okay so we're on the move here the church is growing the holy spirit's powerfully working people are being transformed where is this happening oh it's happening in jerusalem luke tells us in acts chapter 6 verse 7 it's happening exactly the way Jesus said it would happen, in the exact place Jesus said it would happen, with the exact people that Jesus said it would happen with. So can we trust him? Yeah, we can trust him. Do you remember the purpose of real number one? hey, Theophilus, I'm writing all these details down about Jesus' life and ministry of death and burial and resurrection and ascension. And then volume two, so that you can have certainty about the things that you're being taught from the Scripture. This is to build confidence in our lives that everything that Jesus said is going to happen is going to happen. We can look at the world. We can look at 7.9 billion people. We can look at 3.9 billion people who have not ever heard the name of Jesus and 2.9 billion people who also haven't heard. That's billion people who haven't heard about Jesus. And we can say, is this ever going to happen? Well, So far, what Jesus said has happened. So let's keep tracing with them. You're going to be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria. So we've we've seen the evidence in the Jewish of all Jewish places. These are the people that hated Jesus with a passion. Oh, follow it through the Gospels. The chief priests and Pharisees and Sadducees hated Jesus with a passion. And yet, They witnessed, and many were saved. Even priests were saved because of their preaching of the gospel. Well, then we go to Judea. Judea is like you kind of leave the religious center and you go out to the countryside. That's kind of what it's like being in China. We were in a um, city. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. We were in a city that when we moved there had four and a half million people. When we left there had over 10 million people. Like you've never been in a place that's grown that fast, folks. Never happened. It is unbelievable. But when you live in a a city with 10 million people, uh, the buses are crowded, the taxis are crowded, the streets are crowded, everything's crowded, and then you go out into the countryside. It's crowded out in the countryside in, in, in China, but it's way different culture. Way different place. And so it was true in Judea. It was just a different group of people. You know, the farmer guys, they weren't city guys. It was a little less threatening, maybe, than Jerusalem. But Samaria? Well, number one, the disciples hated the Samaritans. You do remember that, right? Jesus took the disciples into Samaria. And was preaching the good news. And the Samaritans rejected Jesus. And what did John and James want to do? Burn them off the planet. That's love, baby. Burn them off the planet. I'm going to call lightning down, fire from heaven, to smoke them. That's how they felt about the Samaritans. Now here's Jesus saying to them before he ascends into heaven, You're going to witness to me in Samaria. They're half Jews, man. We're not going there. Or are we? And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all really comfy, they had the best preaching in the world, they had the apostles. Like, who wanted to go to Samaria when you could listen to Peter preach? When you could listen to James preach? Are you kidding me? They had it all. They were in the center of God's country, Jerusalem. Wow, oh, doesn't get any better than that. Until persecution comes. Now, where did that come from? I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. I think God sent it. Some people don't think that, but that's okay. Great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout. Does that sound like any other part of Scripture? Go, tell. No, we love listening to Peter preach. Uh, Go tell, man. There's other people that need to hear. No, no, James is up next week. He's awesome, too. Look, I'm telling you, you've you got to get out to Samaria and tell those people about Christ or they're going to perish. we got so many friends here. Like, this is an awesome place. I don't think so. And out comes the persecution and they are all scattered. Interesting, if nothing else. Oh, look where they're scattered to the very place Jesus said you'll go. Now, maybe they didn't go obediently in a sense, but Jesus said they'd go. And here they are, scattered into Judea and Samaria. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the the word. Here's where we've got to give them credit, folks. They could have been whining all the way. They lost their business, they lost their family, they lost their church, they lost the great preacher, they lost it all! And they're going into foreign lands. They could have been whining like a lot of other people whine when everything doesn't go their way. But that's not what they did. As they were scattered they preached the word of God because they were filled with the Spirit. And they opened their mouth with boldness and preached the word of God. And here we go. Philip went down to the city of what? Samaria. Of course. That's where Jesus said he'd go. And he preached Christ to them. Why? Because Jesus said, you will witness to me there. And Peter came down and he prayed for those that were getting saved that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit. People in Samaria received the holy spirit half jews yuck if you're a jew they received the holy spirit this is just absolutely amazing not really jesus said it was going to happen so you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, samaria is that right okay now as exciting as all of this is uh, we just covered new jersey And maybe Philadelphia. Jesus is talking about the globe. You will be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. Like we could almost from Faith Bible Church send out enough people to reach New Jersey and Philadelphia. You know, if we were really lucky. But the whole earth Isn't that a stretch? Can we really believe that? Now this is where Luke is going here. Why did Luke write? So that you'll have certainty that what Jesus said is going to happen. That's why he wrote. So let's take a look. See what he says. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, so we've been in the Jewish, Jewish, Jewish center. Then we went out to the countryside with the farmers. Then we went out to those people that we stay away from. We don't even like to walk across their land. They didn't like it when Jesus did that with the Samaritan woman. They didn't want to be on their land, those half-Jews. They're our enemies. And now we're taking a step beyond that, and we have this African man who has traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem because he is a God-fearing Gentile man. And he comes to the Passover, and he's gone his way home, and he's reading Scripture because he's wealthy, right? He's the queen's eunuch, so he can afford a scroll of Isaiah, which is about that big around. And he's got that baby cranked open to chapter 53, and he's reading it, and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, Get up on that chariot. we will tell that guy about Jesus. gets up on the chariot and says, hey, what are you doing? guy said, I'm reading the prophets. You understand what you're reading? Nope. Nope. I really don't. And how could I? Unless somebody gives me understanding. So Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, from Isaiah 53, preached to him Christ. And he believed, Philip baptized him, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Now this isn't a church plant, but this is a foretaste of all the ends of the earth. Not only had many Jews been scattered outside of Jerusalem, Many Jews from the day of Pentecost were from every nation, right? They came in from every nation. Many of them got saved. 3,000 got saved. They went home to those nations. They're, They're taking the gospel back out to Gentile places, but of course, they're only talking to Jews, we find out later, except for a few of them. And this guy came from Ethiopia, and he's headed back to Ethiopia, now he's saved, and he's headed back to the queen with the good news about Jesus Christ. And then While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. What's what's this story? Well, this is Cornelius' household. You remember this, right? Listen to this story for a minute. Peter is on furlough at Simon the Tanner's house. And he goes up on the roof to pray. And he's deep in prayer with God. Good place to be. And then comes the vision. You remember the vision? The sheet that comes down from heaven filled with gross animals. And God says to Peter, kill and eat. And he looked at the guinea pig and he said, over my dead body. I'm a good Jew. I ain't touching that thing. goes back up into heaven. Comes back down again, same menu, nothing changed. Kill and eat, Peter. I've never touched anything unclean, not me. You got the wrong guy. (laughs) Comes down a third time. Kill and eat. Then disappears and leaves Peter sitting there going, what on earth, Lord, was that all about? You know I'm not going to eat that junk. So let me rephrase it for you. Because when we get to this part of the story, we realize that kill and eat means this. Go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. How do we know that? Because God sends or through Cornelius, two of his servants and a soldier to go get Peter to come and tell them the gospel about Jesus Christ. And when Peter, and God tells Peter that they're coming. Peter, what, what is this vision about? Some Gentiles that you think are unclean, whose house you would never step foot in. Oh, God forbid any Jew would ever step foot inside the picket fence of a Gentile. Not going to happen. God said, go and tell him. Go and tell him. Go and tell him. Peter gets to the Gentile house, and you know, Peter's got six Jews with him, six of his buds. You think they want to go to a Gentile's house? They've never been to one in their life. Scared to death. They're going to be unclean. But they follow Peter. And they get inside, and Peter says to Cornelius, what's up? Cornelius says, look, I I gathered my whole family, all my friends, people that work for me, for you to tell us about Christ. Peter says, wow. Go and tell. He tells them about Christ. And while Peter was still saying these things about Christ, the Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles. Here is the breakthrough. To the Gentile world. That Jesus said. All the ends of the earth. You will witness to me. To all the ends of the earth. And here is the breakthrough. Look what happens later on in this chapter. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed. Turned to the Lord. Now they're in Antioch. And the Gentiles are starting to come to Christ. Left and right. And so the church in Jerusalem. Sends. Barnabas right news gets back to Jerusalem like Gentiles are getting saved left and right the Holy Spirit's coming upon them Barnabas go find out what's going on Barnabas heads sees it Barnabas has said he's a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit and he witnesses what God is doing in Antioch and he heads out and gets Paul and brings the apostle Paul to that place and they spend a year establishing a church In Antioch, strengthening them for a year, teaching the Word of God. And from that church, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, the congregation, and the scripture says, the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas out on a church planting mission to the Gentiles from that first Gentile church where they were first called. Christians, sarcastically. But Christian means follower of Christ. Are you a Christian? Well, well of course I am. i Faith Bible Church. That, that, that means you're a follower of Christ. A listener that obeys. That's what follow means. You hear what he says and you follow him. That's what was happening here. It's just an amazing beginning. And Paul and Barnabas head out, start planting churches. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. Why did they do that, folks? Can you tell me why they spoke out boldly? Why? Because they were filled with the Spirit. They didn't go out on their own, this was not a human endeavor. This was the Lord sending them out to witness to himself. saying, Paul and Barnabas saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Who is he talking to? To the Jews. Because the scripture says the gospel will go to the Jews first and then to the rest of the world. So everywhere Paul went, he preached to the Jews first. These guys didn't want to hear him. So he said, okay, well, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy... When you don't listen to what the word of God says and you don't listen to what Jesus says, you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Pretty powerful words. Pretty bold speech. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord for so the Lord has commanded us saying, "I have made you a light for the Gentiles." He's quoting Old Testament scripture. This has always been the case. This is not new revelation that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is marching forward. They have sent out two emissaries, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and they're preaching And people are getting saved left and right and churches are beginning to get established. They, Paul and Barnabas, declared that all God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. What's the context here? The context is after their first missionary journey, their first church planting journey, they came back to that Gentile church in Antioch to give a report of what the Lord was doing. City by city by city, people were getting saved and churches were being established and they got up in front of the church and they shared how God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And then they did what? Then they went back out again. Now, a couple of things happened in the meantime. There was the Jerusalem Council. Why was there a Jerusalem Council? We're not getting into a lot of this, but there was all them folks that were still at that church in Jerusalem, still pretty comfortable and stuff and liked the way They did things and and they couldn't figure out how a Gentile could possibly be saved. Not even circumcised for Pete's sake. Look, Paul, get back out there and circumcise all those guys. Then, Then come back and tell us they're saved. Paul and Barnabas sat down and said, no, 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 no. And Peter said, no, 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 no. Here's what happened. I spoke Christ to Cornelius and his crew and falling out of heaven, the Holy Spirit came and filled every one of them. Paul and Barnabas would say, we went to Antioch and and the Holy Spirit was transforming lives left and right. We established a church there and then they sent us out and now we're back and now you want us to go back out there and bring them under the law that you couldn't keep yourself? Are you serious? Now, we wouldn't do that today, of course, would we? Would we? No, not us. Not a faith Bible anyway, but we know churches that do that kind of stuff. If you don't look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, we're pretty suspicious. You got shorts on? Eh, Probably not saved yet. Now, that doesn't go on here, praise God, but I could take you to a lot of places that it does. Not a whole lot different. But Paul and Barnabas said, it has seemed, the whole council has said, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit. This is God's church. God is building a church, and God said, don't go circumcise those guys. You, you're missing the boat here. No, 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 no. Don't go doing that. And then we get to the end. Whoops, let me, yeah, that's okay. Let me back up. Then Paul returned through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. So he left that council, and he went back to the churches that they had established, and he spent time strengthening them, helping them with their leadership, helping them get established. Did Paul go everywhere with the gospel? No. He went from this city to this city, this city do you know how many people he passed by on his way to that city and how many people he passed by on the way to that city like what's the deal here he was planting churches in cities and he expected as the lord expects for those local churches to reach their area wasn't paul's job to reach everybody it's not the missionary's job to go to China and reach every Chinese person. There's a lot of people over there trying to do that. That's not what God sent us to do. God sent us to establish churches so that those churches could reach their people. Do you know how much more effective a Chinese church is than an American missionary? Do you have any idea? That's what Paul did. That's what Barnabas and Paul did. And of course when they headed back, they went their separate ways. Barnabas went one way, Paul grabbed Silas, and Timothy went the other way, and he returned, strengthening the churches. And then what happens? Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, chapters 16 through 18 are all of these churches being established throughout Gentile territories in the Roman Empire. This is absolutely incredible when you think about it at this time in history, but it's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Now, we get to the end of the book of Acts, and we have Paul in prison in Rome, and he's talking to some Jews. And he said, therefore, let it be known to you, because you guys don't want to listen to me preach anymore. They were coming. He was under house arrest, and they, he had the freedom to have people in, and the Jews, Jewish religious Jewish leaders in Rome were coming and listening to him preach about the Messiah. And they, were, they decided this is nonsense. They rejected him. He said, okay, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Do you remember Deuteronomy? Do you remember what Moses said? God is going to send to you a prophet like me from among your brothers. Listen to him. And those who do not listen to him, they will perish. Listen to him. Paul brings that idea up again. He says you're not going to listen? You will perish, but the Gentiles will listen. Paul continued from prison to lead people in the imperial guard to Jesus Christ, to lead people in Caesar's household to Jesus Christ. Where is Paul? Paul is in the center of the earth, Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, which is the earth of the New Testament. It is the earth of the New Testament. And so the last verse of Acts is an open, open wide verse. It doesn't conclude the end, end of story, part three is coming, doesn't say any of that. Just says this, Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, because Paul was a man filled with the Spirit, and without hindrance. Why without hindrance? Well, because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why he was preaching without hindrance. Because Jesus was using Paul to build his church because Jesus would use his church to reach the world. Okay, so now we get to this statement. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Rome? Can we check this off, really? Yeah, we can. Let's first of all go to the context. First century context. They did it. They reached the world of their culture. They reached Rome. All roads lead to rome they reached the center of the earth they did exactly what jesus said they would do now you know what you've i'm sure you've learned this matter of fact if you read your thing this week you would have read this he talks about prophecy and how it's fulfilled old testament prophecy historically in the past gospel wise in the present and one day in the future well we're already past the old testament so we only have the present and the future The present, the present of 2,000 years ago, it's fulfilled. The future, it's not. Will it be? The mission of God's people is not a matter of how great we are doing the things for God, but a matter of how patient and persistent God is in doing things through us. Jesus said this is going to happen. We can look outside at the hatred towards Christianity in our own country. It's unprecedented. Our country has never hated Christians the way they hate Christians today. And that's ruffling a lot of Christians' feathers. Hate to be a prophet of doom, but it's going to get worse. Way worse. We're going to become just like the rest of the world. The rest of the world hates Christianity. Oh no, how will we ever reach the world? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you believe that? Does that not give you assurance that even though it looks dark and it looks impossible and it looks like we're failing and it looks like we're losing ground, If you believe what Jesus said, if you're listening and you believe what Jesus said, then don't you want to get on board with Him? He's leading the way. He's not asking you to lead. He is leading the way like a great king. And all all He's asking us to do is jump on my back and go with me. Yeah, you can't see where you're going when you're in the back of a king's robe. But it doesn't matter what you see. It's that you obeyed to follow him and go wherever he leads me. You remember what he said to Abraham? I want him to take you to a place and I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Just go. It's the same for us. He's not going to prescribed, there's not going to be a plane, go by and write it in heaven where you're going to go, where you're going to live, who's going to support you, how much you're going to make, what your retirement's going to look like. Those are the kind of questions I had to answer for seminary students when I'd be at seminary and try to get them to come to China. They would say, well, what kind of retirement do you offer? And my wife and I would look at them and go, heaven, maybe sooner than later. We had a lot of young men walk away because they're looking for a retirement. They're looking for a prosperous future. They're not looking to follow a king who's conquering the earth and one day will come back and establish his kingdom. In the meantime, he's using the church, he's using me and you to get that done. So just real quick, we got a couple of minutes left. You hear people talking about the 1040 window. What is the 1040 window? Well, this is kind of important today. 97% of the world's unreached people live here. 97% are located in this from the West Africa over to China, over to Japan. Total population in this area is 5.2 billion people. This little strip. 5,874 unreached people group, 2.76 billion people unreached live in this slice of the world. And 60% of them are closed to Western missionaries. 60%, I didn't do the math, I hate math. I've flunked math more times than you guys took math. But I was a carpenter, and I did math in my head every day. Never thought about it. Didn't know it was math. It wasn't the same as being in class with math. It was in my head. I could do it in my head. I just couldn't do it on paper. 2.7 billion people. 60% of that are off limits, in a sense. To at least getting a visa and going as a missionary and sharing the gospel openly and helping them come to know Christ. takes some real creative genius to get into some places and it's risking your life to do so. But that's what God's called us to and guess what? He's going to accomplish it. He's going to accomplish it with obedient people. The question is who will those people be? Right? I mean... Right? So what's keeping the door of faith closed to all the families of the earth through our church at Faith Bible Today? What, what is keeping the door shut? If you read this this week, I just want to read something in closing. I have about a second. A statement that John Stott mentions in his first paragraph it's essential therefore for christians to understand the grounds on which christian mission rests only then shall we be able to persevere in the mission task with courage and humility in spite of the world's misunderstanding and opposition more precisely biblical christians need biblical incentives For we believe the Bible to be the revelation of God and of His will. So we ask, has He revealed in Scripture that mission is the will for His people? That's what this six weeks is out to answer from the Scriptures. And certainly from the book of Acts, the answer is absolutely. It is God's will that He has called His people to a mission and that's you and me and so we need to take this seriously this is not just a class on missions for us to be more knowledgeable of those who do it this is a class about you that you either listen to or don't and no one can do that no one can listen or not for you But you. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for the great foundation it is for us that we know that this is your plan and you're going to accomplish it and you have promised to do so and you have proven yourself faithful all the way from Genesis. You have proven yourself faithful to the Word. Why do we doubt you today? Why are we afraid to open our mouth and share the gospel? Why are we afraid to go to some crazy place in the world to take the gospel. Why are we afraid to go down the street and share the gospel? It can only be because we don't believe what we hear. Strengthen our faith. Establish us in a biblical faith. Give us courage and boldness. Fill us with your spirit. Use us for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.